This is Amy Bauman, and you are listening to Speaking Truth with Love. For more information about myself or For His Glory Ministry, you can head to amybauman.com. Now here is today's show. Good morning. Welcome to our online service. I'm so excited that you're here with us today as we're celebrating the final countdown to Christmas. Christmas is next week, Sunday. We're on the fourth Sunday of Advent, looking at peace. I have so much to share with you today, so we're going to dive right in. We're going to light uh, this fourth candle here as it represents peace. We light the candle and we read the words of Isaiah. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity as we are counting down to Christmas that we get to talk about your peace today, Lord. And so many of us need that, including myself. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will open up our hearts and our ears for what it is that you have for us, that we can receive your peace and we can live that out each and every day. We give you this time. We ask that you do a new work in us, Lord, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We can't talk about this peace today unless we look at Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets, and look at his words. I want to talk about that today. Uh, looking at Isaiah and the prophecy that he gave us regarding Jesus, Andrew Menkins writes this on Isaiah. Isaiah lived with eyes set on God. This is clear from the opening words of his book, The Vision of Isaiah. Vision is singular, which tells us that Isaiah is meant to be read as one unified whole. Now, if you have struggled reading Isaiah, like myself, until I've done more studying on it and looking at it, Isaiah is in the middle of the Bible, smack dab in the middle. It is 66 chapters. The Bible itself is 66 books. So it is portrayed as the, the miniature Bible within the Bible. The Old Testament has 39 books and are all about, sorry, the Old Testament has 39 books and the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are all about the Old Testament. The New Testament has 27 books and so the last 27 uh, chapters of Isaiah are the prophecies of the Messiah regarding the New Testament. Now there are over 300 messianic prophecies about Jesus, I counted 122 of them, one, two, three, four, five, six, all of them were about, um, just from Isaiah alone, about Jesus. So 
Andrew continues, it is not a fragmentary account of Isaiah's prophecies in life with a few historical narratives thrown in for good measure. Rather, Isaiah is an organized, structured, thoughtful presentation of God's revelation. His whole message is a single vision because it was a literal vision that formed the basis of his ministry. In the year 740 BC, the year Uzziah, king of Jerusalem, died, Isaiah records this. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. This vision of God overwhelmed him. He understood in a way we can only imagine just how far he fell short of the glory of God. There is only one way to respond to God's glory confession. And Isaiah says, woe is me. Isaiah cries in despair for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But in the midst of his grief and fear, we have a picture of the mercy of God. One of the angels, a seraphim takes a red hot coal from the altar flies to Isaiah and presses it on his unclean lips. Contrary to what we might expect, this does not destroy Isaiah's lips. It purifies them. The angel declares, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Though his lips burned, How Isaiah's heart must have sung to receive God's grace and mercy. His guilt removed, his sin dealt with, Isaiah was a new man. Forever changed by the glory and grace of God. It was this vision that formed the message he has set before those in Jerusalem, that God is holy and merciful, full of love and wrath, just and gracious, And that God will send a Messiah to save unclean sinners from his holy wrath by atoning for their sins and taking their guilt away. Just a little backstory on Isaiah. And I want to read to you uh, just Isaiah, uh, the first part of Isaiah, um, where he's talking to the people of that time. And he starts off by saying this, Hear me, you heavens, listen earth. For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its own manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nature, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Who is Isaiah talking to? Well, he ministered from about 740 to 680 BC. For about 20 years, he spoke to both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And after Israel's fall to the Assyrians in 720 BC, Isaiah continued to prophesy to Judah. But what I love about God's word, when you sit down and read it, is that it is alive. It is breathing. 
God breathes life into his word. And when we can read it, it is relevant to today. Did you know that? Have you ever read it? And it's like, wow, this is exactly what I needed today. And when I read those opening lines from Isaiah, it's like he is talking to all of us today. A sinful nation. People are in trouble. People that have turned away from God. And when I think about my 52 years here in this world, I have never more felt a lack of peace. A lack of peace as I look out into the world. History shows us that over time there have been wars. There have been struggles. There have been seasons without peace throughout the entire world, right? We see the wars that have happened in Europe and and the different wars in different places around the world. But today, when I look at the world, collectively, it feels that no one is untouched, that all of us are searching for peace. Isaiah gave many prophecies about the Messiah bringing peace to the world. Isaiah tells us that not only will the Messiah save Israel, but people from among all nations would be drawn to his kingdom. And many people will desire to live according to God's righteousness, to receive God's judgments, and to live at peace with one another. Isaiah 2, 1 through 5 says this, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills. And all nations, all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah tells us that all of creation will be restored. He's prophesying this to all of us, to its natural order, enjoying the peace that God provides. Isaiah writes, The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. Isaiah also tells us that when the Messiah comes, he will heal people of their diseases and their afflictions. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. The Messiah will save people from their sins, restoring peace with God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5. But here's the thing. 
Isaiah was prophesying to the people 700 years before Jesus actually came. Today, as we look to the Prince of Peace, he has already come. 2,000 years ago, he was born into the world to all of us. A rescue mission from God. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus came as a rescue mission? It was a mission to restore us back to God, back to himself. It all begins and ends with Jesus. Isaiah prophesied about it. The people were waiting for this Messiah. And yet today, today he has already come. He's come into this world as a baby, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and was resurrected. We have already seen Jesus come. And yet these people were waiting, waiting for a Messiah. Are you searching for peace today? The search begins and ends with Jesus. And when we think about this time of year, when we focus on the candle of peace, when we focus on the Prince of Peace, we need to focus our eyes on Jesus. We have access to him. We get to live day in and day out with Jesus. But here's the thing. If we choose him. And so many times we don't. So many times we want to hang on to our circumstances. We want to hang on to our own beliefs. We want to keep the control in our lives. We don't want to give up what our flesh enjoys. We're like, you know what? I like my life like this. I I want to keep all of this stuff. And then when trouble comes, we cry out for the one that we know will give us peace. We cry out for Jesus. But here's the thing. We're not willing to give up all this stuff. And then we struggle and we get mad at God for not giving us peace when he wants to. But we want it our way. And I know I struggled for 17 years wanting it my way, not choosing God. But I had no idea what this peace was. And I had no idea how it would change my life. So I think the million dollar question today as we look at peace is what is peace? What is it really? If we want to claim it, we have to understand what it is. If we look at the dictionary's definition, this is what we're going to read. Freedom from disturbance, quiet tranquility, a state or period where there is not war. And I think for the longest time, that's what I thought peace was. The absence of war. Peace was tranquility. Peace was a quiet house with no kids screaming in it. Peace was maybe something my husband and I were experiencing at that moment where we weren't fighting. Maybe the TV was on and it was just peace. 
But the word described in the Bible is the Hebrew word shalom. And that means nothing missing and nothing broken. Wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, which was in the garden in the very beginning, might I add. That's how the garden was. Peaceful. Shalom. Everything God created was perfect. And Adam and Eve felt utterly whole. They knew who they were. They knew who God was. And they lived in community with him and walked with him. But here's the thing. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree and disobeyed God, the door was opened by Satan, our enemy, and he began to reign in this world. But God, right? He started this path of restoration from that time and has been working and moving to bring Jesus into the world so that we could be fully restored again to him. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That peace is for each of us to experience the complete wholeness that God was in God's original design. That we are whole in spirit, soul, and body. And this is the ministry of Jesus. Not an absence of war, not no kids screaming, not peace and tranquility, but wholeness, nothing missing and nothing broken. And we can see that Jesus is the Prince of Peace as we look at the New Testament. He was healing the sick, casting out demons, and preaching the gospel in brand new ways that encouraged people and gave them a new understanding of God. He wanted them to be whole. And one of the biggest things that he would say to people is not, you are healed, but go and sin no more. He wanted to take the sin out of the equation because sin is where we are broken. Sin is where we fall short. Sin is what causes us today to have lack of peace. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to cancel his plans, to take us out of relationship with God. And the devil brings discord, disunity, and dis-ease. Do you ever think about that? Where does disease come from in our bodies? Dis-ease brought on by the devil. But the opposite of all those things is what Jesus brings us. But with Jesus, peace is the opposite of all those things. Peace is reestablishing God's order and his original design, what he had intended for the world in the beginning. When we think about Jesus and what he did on the cross, he not only bore our sin, but our sickness and our poverty, and our depression, and our oppression on his own body. He took on all of those things. And when he rose again, victorious over the grave, 
that release the power of peace. We get to claim that today in our own lives in Jesus' name. So here's the thing. To have peace, we need to realign our bodies, our hearts, and our minds with God's word. We need to recognize that peace, shalom, is wholeness in spirit, soul, and body. Nothing missing and nothing broken. We need to remember that we can live in this broken world operating on top of our circumstances when we have God's peace. That perfect peace that we claim over our lives, over our families, over our communities. When we claim this truth, we can fight against the enemy and win. And in Jesus' name, we can cancel his plans and have peace. Doesn't that sound easy? I think this is where we struggle, right? Is we, we can read about this peace, we can talk about this peace, and yet how do we apply this peace to our lives? What does that look like walking that out on a daily basis? Well, for one, I've always been told to follow the peace. If I was trying to make a decision and I was walking forward, right? And I did not have peace as I was walking forward in that decision, then I needed to pause and I needed to pray and I needed to realign my heart, my motives to what God had for me because God is always going to want me to walk in his peace. And I think that's the trouble sometimes. And this is how I was in my old life is I wanted what I wanted and I didn't care if I didn't have peace because I was going to keep going to what I wanted. And I didn't have peace. So what the Lord has been teaching me is to make sure that I'm always following his peace. I'm always following him. I'm keeping my eyes focused on Jesus. And if all of a sudden I take a step and there's no peace, then I'm not following anymore. Somehow I've been distracted. Somehow I've walked off the path. Somehow my eyes have focused to something else and there's no peace. So we first of all need to follow Jesus. We need to make sure that we're following the peace, not the desires of our own heart. We need to follow Jesus. Here's another thing that I struggled with for a lot of years, wanting the peace of Jesus, but unwilling to change my choices. Let me say that again. Wanting to follow Jesus, but unwilling to change my choices. How are you doing today in your life? You want to follow Jesus. You want him to live in your heart, but you still want to do this over here. And this over here does not line up with God's word. It's a, it's a hard thing but it's about surrendering, right? Surrendering our will and wanting to do what Jesus wants for us. 
what Jesus has laid out for us in his word, how Jesus operated in this world while he was here. He showed us how to live a life to follow him. And it's forgetting the ways of the world and focusing on him alone. The other thing that we need to do is cooperate with God. And that is taking a step and not wanting to, being unwilling to change our choices, right? So we're saying, okay, I'm going to change my choices and now I'm going to cooperate with God. And cooperating with God is defining that it's a relationship and it takes two people. Here's a great way to understand it. How many of you are parents out there? Okay, I'm a parent and I, and I have grown kids now. My husband and I have grown kids and grandbabies. So this doesn't apply to our life right now. But once upon a time, we had teenagers. Teenagers that were growing up and growing out of childhood and discovering that they had an identity and they wanted to figure things out for themselves. And so they sometimes were making their own decisions irregardless of what we would tell them. So they were growing up, experiencing life, making their own choices. And for us, we certainly didn't reward them when those choices did not line up with the guidelines of our home. So if they came home late, if they didn't call, if they perhaps skipped school, if they lied to us, if they did something behind my back, I didn't reward them for those decisions. I didn't say, oh, it's okay. I'll make it better for you. I'll make it peaceful. I'll, I'll take this issue away from you. We'll work through it. It'll be fine. No, I, and I don't think you did either, right? You understand that those were challenging things to let them work and move in their own life. And so we had to say, okay, here are the consequences. These are the consequences that if you miss class, maybe you're missing the information that you learned that day and you're missing an important test. Maybe if they uh, stayed up too late, there was a lack of sleep and then they had no energy to go to their job or no energy to do anything that they wanted to. Lying brought lack of trust. So the choices that they made determined the situation and oftentimes their future, but they were not rewards, they were consequences. And that's what we ourselves struggle with today. It's the same with our relationship with God. He's our Father. He is giving us guidelines where we will have the most abundant life. Look here, Amy, I've told you everything you need to know in my book, my love letter to you. You need to read these words. You need to align your lives with my truth and then you will live an abundant life. And when we get in our situations where we've chosen something that does not line up with God's word, when we want peace, we're crying out to the Lord and we're saying, Lord, help us. I need you. I need peace. And this is what I picture the Lord does, right? He bends down. 
he bends down and he says, okay, I, I want to give you this peace. I want to help you in this area of your life. But the addiction needs to go. The overspending needs to go. The unforgiveness needs to go. You need to align, realign your life back to my word. And then I will rush in and you will have a supernatural abundance of peace. But these things have to change first. And this is the struggle. If we're unwilling, if we're unwilling to cooperate with God, then that is our choice, right? We're making a choice to do that. So then we need to live with the consequences. And those come to us sometimes right away, sometimes years later, but they come to us. And we need to remember that God gave us his word, the Bible, and he is not going to operate outside of that. He's not going to all of a sudden go, oh, well, Amy made a mistake, so I'm going to change this right here, and we're just going to switch gears, and we're going to help her out this one time because she's really been crying. She really needs me. So, no, God doesn't do that. God wrote the word. God gave us the word, and he's saying, listen, I will give you all of these things, abundant life and peace and joy and hope and forgiveness, but you need to align your lives with my word. And he gives us the choice. He wants us to choose peace. He wants us to choose joy. He wants us to choose hope. He wants us to choose love. He wants us to choose him. And he loves us so much that he sent his son, hoping, praying that we would choose him that we would see how Jesus lived and walked in this world, how he died on a cross, how he's coming back to take us home. And that will supersede anything else that we want in this world, that all we're going to want is Jesus. But we get tripped up. We get tripped up living in this world. We get detoured from the devil. And the devil certainly doesn't want you to know that you can have access to this peace. He doesn't want our foundation to be firmly planted in this kind of peace. And he certainly doesn't want us to be peacemakers. He doesn't want us walking around having confidence in who we are and who God is and establishing peace in our homes, within our families, within our relationships, in our communities, within this world. No, because that would totally change how he lives. That would totally change his future. If we had that kind of peace, all of us did. I read an amazing book by Dr. Philip Rich. He's the author of Revelation of Peace. It was life-changing for me, and I want to read what he wrote. Peace is a force that is life-changing, transforming power. The devil can't mess with peace. He has to get you out of it before he can do anything to you. Think about that for a second. Let me read that again. He has to get you out of peace before he can do anything to you. If you are in peace, he can't touch you. He can't throw a storm all around you and it won't affect you. He can hit you with his best shot 
and you will walk right through it just like the Hebrew children did in the fiery furnace. You won't even smell smoke on you. You will be in the lion's den curling up, sleeping with the lions. Have you ever thought of peace that way? Do you need that kind of peace in your life today where you just can't even smell the smoke on you from the fire that you're standing in? That's the kind of peace that Jesus can give us. And if you're looking for this kind of peace in your life, then today is the best day to reclaim that peace in your life today, to replace that dominion and authority that we can have in Jesus Christ That we can believe without a shadow of a doubt that we are the sons and daughters of the Most High King, the Prince of Peace. Came into this world as a baby, living his life so we know how to live, and dying on the cross gives us understanding that, gives us this ability to have his peace in our lives today. He did the work. It is finished. All we have to do is receive. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, so many of us need your peace today. And we've been trying to make it and replicate it and get it from our neighbors and buy it online. And Lord, nothing is working. And that's because it's not your peace, Jesus. We can't make it. We can't buy it. We can't find it. Only you offer it to us. And Lord, we ask today in Jesus' mighty name that you forgive us for our sins, that you help us return to the path, that we can remember everything that you did for us, restoring us back to yourself, helping us realign our lives with your word. And we want to receive that today each one of us. Help us to know your peace, the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that we can grab onto, the peace that we can have in our lives today. This gift that you want to give us, Lord. Today we say, yes, I want to take that gift. I want to live my life for you. I want to lay down all the things that my flesh wants and I want to align my life with your word. Help us today grab hold of this gift of peace and take it with us always. We love you and praise you and thank you and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget, we have a Christmas Eve service coming up at 5 p.m. on December 24th. And next week, Sunday, we'll come together for our Christmas service at 10 a.m. You're not going to want to miss it. I'm so excited to be able to share with you Jesus. But thanks so much for being here today and for joining us. And until next time, until we can be together again, be blessed. Thanks so much for joining me today. Stay tuned for more Tuesday teachings, Sunday sermons, and encouraging messages along the way. And until next time, Be blessed.